Welcome to Chromodiversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity. In the first part of season two, you heard research about early age social and emotional development of children with common genetic variations that can be linked to higher rates of neurodivergence, such as dyslexia, ADHD, and autism. The second part features the lived experience of some remarkable individuals from different places around the world who happen to have a particular genetic variation in their DNA. They've agreed to share their eye-opening personal stories with you of what it's actually like to grow up with chromodiversity, some for the very first time. Hi, I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. This episode features the second part of a conversation with Rick Clark from Edinburgh in Scotland. Rick was 39 when he found out that he had an extra 47th Y chromosome, a non-hereditary genetic variation that occurs in about 1 in 1,000 males, but is rarely diagnosed. In the last episode, he talked about how that discovery affected him, the biggest misconception about people with an extra Y, and what it was like growing up as a young child with chromodiversity. In the second part of our conversation that you're about to hear, Rick talks about his teen years, adopting his own child as an adult, and shares key takeaways for other parents and individuals faced with chromodiversity. The episode ends with a special treat as Rick answers a surprise quiz. You would say to yourself as a child, it's not your fault. And that might have been a helpful message um, yeah. for many yeah. children who, who yeah. have whatever difference or don't feel that they fit in, that the fact they don't fit in is not their fault. It might be the environment that they're in. I used to refer to this kind of chicken and egg situation, yeah. well, with certainly with my, my, my father and I, because I couldn't work out what happened first. Did, did I upset him so then he upset me so i upset him and then he upset me or did he upset me and then i upset him i don't know but then you know in actual fact in some respects it's irrelevant if i did it first because it's the parent's responsibility to not be you know uh consumed by whatever the child did you've got to actually you know it's it's their um their their responsibility to be a steward to you know um be patient to to essentially take the 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 less well-informed member of the of the team of the family and and help them you know become better you know how does that inform you being a parent yourself and can you tell us a little bit about um how you did become a parent in the end, um, because I believe that yeah. you and your child are actually not genetically related. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, I mean, when, when talk about the whole, um, uh, well, there was two sides to that question. I mean, I, um, when you talk about perseverance, um, I mean, I give you when we're when, in the introduction, you refer to my kind of bachelor's equivalent. I mean, I, um, I eventually, stopped trying to become an accountant i i i i i couldn't i couldn't pass my last two exams and in the end i decided to kind of go a slightly different way in terms of the work that i was doing but i um 
I did get to a certain level and passed 12 out of uh, 14 exams for the uh, Association of Chartered Certified Accountants qualification. And um, of those 12 exams that I passed, I actually sat 31 papers. So that means that I only passed 12 of the 31 sittings that I sat uh, because I failed exams a lot of times. Um, and, um, you know, that's, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking at times, not to mention an incredible waste of money. But, um, yeah, in terms of the um, uh, the, the parenthood thing I th is quite interesting. I mean, um, so my wife had said that she, ne she it was never her desire to be pregnant that would be mean that she had become a mother. Uh, it wasn't about necessarily having her own child. And um, she actually is a, she's a neonatal nurse. So she looks after premature babies, predominantly premature, mm. and some uh, babies that have had very difficult births. So they may be full term, but they've got some difficulties. Um, and often because she, she's in intensive care, these um, uh, different babies have all sorts of different challenges ahead, whether it's to do with their hearts and lungs or um, their brains. And, and, you know, it's, it's enormously rewarding work, but it's also, you know, it can be extraordinarily upsetting as well. And and there is a lot of work with the parents um, who often have, you know, have to undergo, some, you know, some, some terrible situations. And, and yes. so, yeah, it's, it can be pretty tough. But anyway, um, so my wife, uh, uh, you know, she as far as she was concerned, it wasn't necessarily about bearing a child, but she wanted to be a mum and she'd almost wanted to be a mum. So it was actually bizarre that nature had played its wicked game with her and she wasn't able to really uh, produce a lot of eggs for, you know, whether it was, um, uh, yeah, well, anyway, any, any had you always anyway. just, just um, had you always yeah. wanted to be a dad? Um, well, for a long time, I hadn't because I saw it as a kind of egocentric kind of um, pastime, almost that you would want to produce a child in your own in your own liking or whatever. Mm. Uh, l later on, when I actually met my wife Lynn for the first time, I mean, literally on the first day I met her, I thought that I wanted to have a family with her. So, right. so I mean, that was an, an like an Amazing. instant feeling. Mm. Um, and anyway, so so we we decided that we, we wanted to adopt, and we um we went down this route with an adoption agency in Edinburgh. An actual fact. Uh, you know, because I'm an open book very much uh, about myself, uh, you know, uh, that's probably a little bit of the autism coming through, whatever the, the, um, uh, I um, was very open about my um, experience um, growing up. I was also open about, um, you know, how I felt about different things. And the adoption agency actually asked us, or they asked me specifically, if I would go through some counselling um, to make sure that I was of sound mind to become a parent. And, you know, I think, it, I guess they were doing their due diligence because it's, it, mm. it's, it's a process to adopt in this country. You've got to, you know, it's not just a tick box exercise. You've, you know, they really want to discover whether you have the ability to, to, to not only form a bond with a child, but also then bring it up for the next, you know, 20 years and, 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 and beyond that. So, um, uh, anyway, and as any parent knows, is that you know, you know, it's a constantly changing situation. So, um, uh, anyway, um, 
so I went through the additional counselling and, and, and actually that was really good. That was, um, for me, I decided to just embrace it. And, um, and then when we came out the other side of that, I'm bearing in mind, as I said, I've already had quite a lot of therapy. I mean, I think the first time I ever had therapy was as a teenager and had had it on and off in, in a few different scenarios, um, a number of times over the years, partly at the behest of my parents because they didn't know what to do with me. Um, and then also partly off my own volition. So on the other side of that, we we finally um, were uh, approved for adoption and uh, we were approved to adopt one child. And actually, so my son, uh, uh, Logan, I saw his profile on, a, we were on a kind of internet thing. And uh, immediately I, I just thought that he, he almost looked like us. <laughs> it's like what they refer to as old school adoption mm-hmm. because he has a certain yes. likeness to both um, uh, Lynn and, and me. But, um, you know, I know also, I mean, there's been quite a lot of studies done on this, is that there a lot of the um, uh, boys and girls that are in the care system, that their parents are neurodivergent. A lot a lot of them are. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of neurodivergent people in, in prison, you know, um, as well. And, um, uh, and one of the things that particularly sold me on the whole concept of adoption in the first place was the fact that we got an opportunity to break a cycle you know um so uh a lot of uh families go through a constant cycle of um kind of lack of inspirational people lack of aspirations and they um they don't necessarily look after themselves they make not great choices their mental health is never that great and that just keeps revolving of generation after generation after generation these families and i'm not judging them at all in fact if anything i'm say i'm very lucky not to be in that cycle myself uh, or to have got into that cycle myself um but um uh the um but anyway i mean i don't know whether logan will he's only five i don't know whether he'll eventually start to show some uh traits he maybe already is um uh well i've noticed a few but I, but <laughs> i don't think there's any point in jumping on it straight away uh, it's much better just to treat him as a kid and try and help him you know um get the best out of every situation and and uh and um yeah help him help him make better choices how old was he when you adopted him so- he was only a year and a half and and an actual fact so he went straight into foster care from birth um part of the reason for that was that he was born with not great lungs um he was on, a, on an oxygen tank for about a year after he was born and as it happens because he's from the southeast of england he was uh he, we they approached in excess of 80 families or 80 couples to try and get someone closer at home uh uh to to adopt him but they were all scared off by the oxygen tank uh but i mean i think partly because lynn is a neonatal nurse and partly because i googled it <laughs> not 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 necessarily the source of truth um but uh we we felt that we would be able to handle that anyway and in actual fact we've never ever had to deal with the oxygen tank anyway although he did have some he's had like issues with breathing and he's got an asthma inhaler and stuff like that. What would you say to parents expecting a future child and receiving a diagnosis 
of a genetic difference such as an extra chromosome? Well, I think the first thing is, is that, you know, when you're going into this situation, um, if you're becoming a parent, is that you genuinely, there is a almost like a genetic lot lottery, you know? And so, um, so, you know, as you say, they may be looking for perfection, but, you know, there's that, I'm sure there's a, a book that's probably been printed a few million times over about ultimately you want them just to have 10 little fingers and 10 little toes. You know, the, um, the, um, not every child, but lots of children are born with a pretty good brain that works pretty well. And if you engage with it well enough and, and play with that child, then there's an enormous amount that can be achieved. Uh, I, I, um, so when some, children are referred to as being unintelligent by their peers at school i think that's just a lot of the time is completely inaccurate it's just the fact that probably their parents interact with them a whole lot and and uh, and they may have spent a lot of time watching tv growing up i mean i'm 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 i am generalizing a little bit um uh, at the same time um so i'm on a couple of facebook groups um for specifically to do with xyy and I see a lot of parents who uh, are, you know, frustrated because their son is, you know, a lot of work and there's all sorts of difficulties they're having. And um, I know that I was a handful um, and and had some difficulties. And I mean, unfortunately, my mum's not here to, to, to speak <laughs> on on the parents' behalf of me, but the... Um, I think there is also, I'm not saying that it's a tendency, but there's a there's a risk that you could um, pin everything that goes wrong with your child on their um, chromosome diversity. I think that's, yeah. I think that's not fair on either the child mm -hmm. and also on just on children in general. Children have problems. Um, uh, some of them are are. Uh, you know, related to some things, some, and lots of them we just don't know why they're happening, and it's and it's extraordinarily frustrating. Um, uh, you know, there are kids that are born, you know, severely handicapped. They may have had bleeds on the brain. That they, um, uh, you know, ha have all sorts of potential learning difficulties, and and I understand why parents are afraid. Um, because they are afraid that they might not be able to handle it, afraid that they they don't have the resilience. But um, you know, but then, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, did you want to be parents or not? You know, um, I think you've got to just kind of go for it and and get the best out of the situation for those children. Um, I mean, and another thing, and my my, I mean, I say I was talking about mother there, but when we when we uh, when we were going to be adopting before we adopted uh, she produced a number of articles about um, children who were adopted uh, and the incidences of um, fetal alcohol syndrome and mm -hmm. uh, you know the, anything that they may have been uh, you know affected by in utero to do with you know uh, drug um, anything to do with drugs or whatever and um, you know that was obviously a risk and um, uh, and and in actual fact, we don't know all the details uh, because not all of that information that we were, we, it was available. 
Uh, I mean, as it happens, Logan had a, a had a bleed on the brain and he almost died. So, you know, there's all sorts of kind of stuff that's gone going with that. Um, but um, you know, it's kind of up to you as a parent to kind of to be the better person, you know, <laughs> to 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 not to not just say, oh, I'm I'm only I'm only doing this if I'm got the the perfect the perfect child, you know, because in fact, quite often that perfect child might end up to not be terribly perfect. So, <laughs> I mean, you you must have seen that film Gattaca with Ethan Hawke, yes. where he's uh he's an invalid, um, and uh, you know, right at the end, uh, um, one of the guys who's doing the urine test on him or whatever, um, then kind of passes him or whatever and says that his his son is a great fan of his, you know. Um, I just love that because ultimately Ethan Hawke's character was basically working so hard, uh, working harder than anybody else to be, you know, valid. And uh, and while while the the system was unfair, um, he overcame it anyway. So, I mean, that for me is... is everything i used to give up too easily on certain in certain things and i genuinely believe that uh that is uh you know so i guess it's the closed mindset you know um the the fixed mindset where you if you can't do it then you're never going to get any better at it whereas the growth mindset is that you will keep trying at things even when you suck at them um, and uh, and every little bit of um, every step forward that you can take for some kind of that that might give you some incremental improvement um, uh, is is worth is, is worth doing. I'd like to um, move to ten final questions that originally came from a French okay. series. First question is: What is your favorite word? <laughs> Um, so for some reason, I didn't actually prepare for this one. Um, you, you don't have to have one. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. Seren, ser, serendipity. How do you pronounce it? Seren, serendipity. Serendipitous. That's the one. Yeah, exactly. Serendipitous, meaning something happening fortuitously, but in a positive way, such as a chromosomal difference. Yeah. May I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what is your least favorite word? I guess actually, more recently, it's probably it's probably disorder, <laughs> hmm. um, because uh, it implies that there's something wrong with you. <laughs> ah, right, disorder in the traditional medical sense. Yeah. Um, so, shall we say that we talk about difference rather than disorder? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although have, I have, I have, I often find myself using the term disorder because it's what people are more aware of or just because it's you know in in common use what turns you on well i love moving uh and i, I love movement so i love to watch people move uh one of the reasons why i love you know a video and uh and 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 photography because you can capture the moment of people movement moving but equally, I like moving myself, and I love getting outside. Consequently, I'm, I'm I'm much better outside than I am inside. What sound do you love? I really love um, I really love music by Eric Prids, who's a DJ, and uh, and I think I could listen to that all day long. Actually, what sound do you hate? 
probably you know um the sound down a chalkboard you know that kind of nails mm. down a chalkboard kind of thing that's probably the only thing <laughs> what is your favorite curse word so there the, the f word i use you know a lot of the time there there is a word in in this country which i know isn't often used everywhere else the c word which um is people don't like it the use of it here but in actual fact in certain circles it's not necessarily seen as such a bad thing uh, in scotland that is what profession other than yours would you like to attempt unfortunately it's probably too late for me to become a professional athlete um i mean i am um, i'd always fancied doing something or or in or more recent times i've been quite interested in cyber security um but it's yeah i'm not sure whether i'm going to get the chance to do that to be honest um and uh, equally you know singing uh, i could still go back and do some singing i think what profession would you not like to participate in well having done this work before i don't think i would i'd want to do uh, customer service work or um or uh, or um, waiting because I, I was never very good at it so okay and final question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates well i think i would like him to presume assuming it's a him if it's not, then <laughs> her, uh, or or are they um i think i would uh, want there to be a conundrum or a, a, a puzzle to, to solve before I could get through, if you see what I mean, rather than, rather, if, if, if life has been, you know, challenging with a, an ultimate goal, uh, 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 then I would want that to be, you know, the case if I wanted to get to heaven too. I mean, for me, one of the things that came out for of my counselling, for example, when we before we had adopted Logan, was that I really enjoy the journey uh, rather than the actual destination. So uh, I I I kind of saw it almost as as a, a ball going down a, a pipe or something. Is that I I like I bounce around a lot and I I pick up all sorts of different bits of information. I'm not don't necessarily move in one straight line. And I, and, and that's, that's a good thing for me. Uh, I, I get a lot more out of life um, in that uh, scenario. It's not just about achieving things. <laughs> wow, a puzzle to solve. I don't think I <laughs> ever heard that answer. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Rick. I think the ability to understand and articulate insights gained from personal lived experience is rare and valuable. And my thanks are for having taken time to share with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the second part of this exclusive conversation with Rick Clark about his personal story growing up with chromodiversity and his takeaways from lifelong experience. If you like this episode, tune in next week for another exciting conversation with a fascinating guest about their experience growing up with chromodiversity.